Hello, and welcome back to an episode of the Maroon Weekly. I'm Carter. I'm Greg. I'm William. And I'm Jake. Uh, to get you all started, today we got a couple articles. Uh, we'll start with Greg on the newly elected undergraduate student government. Right. So a bit of drama punctuated the USG election cycle. Members of the Golden Slate Warriors ticket are set to become the next leaders of USG after protests and vote deductions for several candidates. Both during and after the voting period, several complaints were filed against each of the three executive tickets for campaign violations, resulting in vote deductions for both the Uplift Slate and Chicago tickets after a hearing on April 17th. First, a bit of background about the complaints process. After a complaint of a rule violation is submitted, the Elections and Rules ENR committee notifies the defendant via email and sets a date for a public hearing. Within these hearings, complainants are able to present evidence supporting the allegations and respondents' evidence to the contrary. Both parties are then able to speak in the rules interpretation discussion, which determines the basis for and severity of the infraction. After this, ENR enters private deliberations and creates a ruling to be publicized after the hearings conclude. Now onto the penalties. So the runner-up, Uplift Slate, received 328 votes, though the total was reduced to 324.72 after the ticket incurred a 1% vote deduction for violating the university posting policy by placing a campaign poster on a lamppost. ENR conducted a hearing for the violation three hours after voting closed on April 14th, but neither presidential candidate Julia Brestovitsky nor EVB candidate Elijah Jenkins was present, nor were the complainants the Chicago ticket. The Chicago For You ticket, featuring second-year presidential candidate Ben Voucher and third-year EVP candidate Alex Norton, was also penalized. The first complaint against the Chicago ticket alleged that its members violated Article 2, Section 1 of ENR's Spring 23, 2023 election policies by exceeding the $200 cap allotted for campaign spending. After voting concluded on Friday afternoon, the Chicago ticket posted the email notification of the violation sent by ENR Chair R.E. Stern on Friday to its Instagram story. The text, quote, stop the steal, was overlaid on a screenshot of the email. The Chicago ticket received an additional complaint for publicizing the first complaint in violation of the ENR confidentiality rules found in House Rules Title IV. This email notification was also shared on the ticket's Instagram with the caption, quote, hashtag fair elections, prompting another confidentiality violation. For the full details, including info on the satirical ticket, see the article on the Maroons website by our wonderful news editor and newsletter writer, Katherine Weaver. You know, every once in a while, I think the student government doesn't do anything for me, and then it provides drama like this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, I actually almost joined the Election and Rules Committee my first year. I went on the website, and I, I clicked the link to join. And it just redirected me to Pornhub. Oh my so god! So I informed that, that can't them. Be true, no, but fortunately it is. And <laughs> I, is sent, um, I sent them an email informing them of the issue, and then I never attempted to join again. Yeah, that student government has changed over the years. Do we have to censor that? Is that okay? I think it's fine. Okay. Fine. Okay. <laughs> All right. I mean, USG sometimes I feel is a joke, and and this election process just goes to show furthermore how it's a joke i think in the article it was like the chicago ticket or the chicago for you ticket um alleged that that saying that because both members were in du and and i think someone from uplift called them out um for being in du as defamation 
or not DU anymore, it's the or- Order of the Iron Key. Iron Key Society. Iron Key Society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then whatever they want to choose to call themselves, you can call themselves whatever they want. Um, it's DU in my mind. Uh, you know, it's just, it's it's a joke. How, you know, if you're part of something, own it. Don't don't go out there talking defamation this, defamation that. But I think the best part of it is that yeah. the guy said, oh, I'm not actually into you. I don't pay my dues anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, this is, it's, 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 it's a joke. And what, Wait, just, what, just to be clear, DU, Delta, Upsilon, the fraternity? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, well I, I don't, they're not associated with the fraternity anymore because... Not I the think national the, group. Yeah, yeah, the national group. I believe we've covered this previously. Yeah. yeah. Is that the uh, DUI one? Uh, no, no, no. no. Is I, that the, I don't know. They yeah. had a number of issues. Yeah, it was a number, number of issues. Um... A, quote, mutual split. Last time I was yes. there, water was, like, falling out of the ceiling. Um, there was a nice. whole thing. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't get it. I, I really don't. Um, is this a, what, 21, 22% point uh, deduction? I mean, a uh, vote deduction? 21%. Oh, 21%, 21%, 21%, 21%, 21%, 21%, 21%, 21%, 21%, 21%. Uh, vote deduction. Yeah. And what sucks is that they had a decent uh, platform, um, which I think if they took this election more seriously, a lot of changes that I think we should see on campus could have gotten achieved, but... You know, if they wanted to go out like this with a bang, you know, as a joke, it's, yeah. I mean, these these complaints and their behavior indicates that they probably weren't taking this yeah. all too seriously. And True. if they had somehow been elected, I'm not sure how much of that would have ended up being implemented. True, yeah. Um, there's sort of a chronic problem of, of USG not doing enough. Yeah. Um, I was amused to see the Chicago ticket come up on Instagram as a sponsored post. <laughs> I also saw that. Okay, I, so I thought I'm it pretty was sure. the only one. Like, yeah. Not surprised thought, that that counted. I think that was disclosed spending. in their campus campaign finance report or whatever. Hard to say. You know, as someone who's worked in politics, there's a lot of ways to get around campaign finance. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's very um, disheartening just to see, you know, just breaking of, of such rules like this. It's, yeah. But also entertaining. Very entertaining. But I don't want Certainly my government not. to be entertaining. I want my government to get stuff done. Another entertaining point. I, um, I remember fall of my freshman year, our freshman year, Greg, um, when all sorts of people were campaigning to join college council as representatives of the class of 2025. Um, but this year, there was only one person on whose name was on the ballot for college council for our class. Did you vote, Greg? Yes. So there's one name to check off, Aya Hamza. And then you could just like write people in. So the five people who I think will be offered spots if they want them, um, four of them got somewhere between seven and twenty votes as write-in candidates. Nice, mm-hmm. <laughs> very nice. <laughs> so if anyone had wanted, they could have like mobilized their house or whatever to just <laughs> get elected or get you know them and three friends elected, and then you would have a solid chunk of college council. I do have to give it to Aya Hamza. She is someone who I think has a really bright future. Um, just yeah, she's insanely intelligent. Um, her work with the Law Review, I'm very excited that she's going to be on USG, but I wish there was opponents because I feel like, as someone who cares a lot about democracy and a lot about voting, and I'm a voting nerd, um, just democracy and everything works better when things are contested. When there's competition. You know, we're yeah. going to have people on USG who Economics only got 20 votes. Same. 20 votes? That's yeah. a joke. You know? Is that even legitimate? I don't want to question the legitimacy of USG, but is that legitimate? Apparently it is. Uh, when there's no alternative, 20 votes is better than no votes. 
I mean, I, I feel like at that point, maybe you just don't have people on the ballot. Like, you could just set a cutoff. Like, yeah, you need at least 40 votes. <laughs> like, that that would be maybe a more dedicated, at least write-in campaign. Mm-hmm. But seven? Like, really? Yeah. yeah. Seven yeah. votes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. They don't have a mandate to lead. <laughs> that, that, that's not it. No, not much of a mandate. Yeah, not much of a mandate. Mm-hmm. Well, now we're on to uh, the next discussion, which I will talk about uh, the end of Ramadan. This past week saw the end of Ramadan, the Islamic holy month dedicated to fasting and spiritual growth, which this year lasted March 22nd to April 20th. For most Muslims, that means abstaining from food and water between a time often before 5 a.m. and lasting until sundown. Fasting is broken daily with an iftar meal, and this year, as in years past, Chicago's own Muslim Students Association hosted nightly iftars at Hyde Park's Union Church. The meals, which on some nights reached attendance of as many as 150 people, were catered by Hyde Park and other Southside restaurants, including local favorite Cafe 53. Uh, and funded by donations from students and the wider local Muslim community. See the article for more by uh, Charlie Colodial in the Hyde Park Herald. I'm very happy to see that. I think it's really important that we create safe spaces for students of all religions. Um, you know, my family's from Kenya, where I've seen firsthand how, you know, the Islamic community, um, you know, is very peaceful, very kind, very generous, and I'm really happy that they were able to celebrate iftar. Um, meals um, together here um, at the University of Chicago. That is a really beautiful thing to see. Yeah, it's wonderful that they were given that space, that yeah. um, mm-hmm. that catering was provided, all, all those, all that structure. Yeah, I think it would also, it would have, it, I, I'm, I'm sure among Muslim communities it was advertised a little bit more, but I, I had not heard of it myself until after the fact. Um, and uh, and one of my best friends is Muslim, and he, I, I don't think, ever went to those iftars. I'm not sure if he ever knew about them, but I know we went to fourth meal many times because oftentimes <laughs> he would not be able to eat um, during during the day, uh, and so I'm sure he's excited now that he can eat during the during the day. All right, so next we're going to move on to a discussion on a university lawsuit settlement with Will. Yes, um, the University of Chicago has agreed to settle an antitrust lawsuit that accused the university of conspiring with 16 other highly selective private institutions to limit financial aid packages to students. It is the first institution named in the lawsuit that agreed to settle. The agreement was announced on Wednesday, April 19th. The lawsuit filed in January 2022 stemmed from a class action complaint on behalf of alumni from 17 private universities. The plaintiffs alleged that the defendant universities sought to reduce competition amongst themselves by adopting uniform financial aid policies. All the defendants were at one point members of an association known as the 568 Presidents Group. The association is named after Section 568 of the Improving America School Act, which allowed universities to use the same formula for determining financial aid for all students as long as they adopted need-blind admissions policies. The university was a member of the 568 Presidents Group from 1998 until 2014. The group was officially dissolved in November, uh, on November 4th, 2022, after Congress allowed the Improving America School Act to expire. The members met annually to determine a formula for calculating financial need. The result was that students received similar or identical aid packages from most members. The plaintiffs, they contend that the practices of the defendants did not fall under the Section 568 exemption because the admission policies were not truly need-blind. 
They claim that nine of the defendants disqualified themselves from the exemption by giving preferential consideration to children of donors or by considering financial need when admitting students off wait lists. The lawsuit represents all UChicago alumni who received financial aid between 2003, um, the year that the university adopted the 568 President's Group formula, and 2014 when the university withdrew from the group. The university and the plaintiffs have not yet negotiated the terms of the settlement agreement. And if you want to read more about this, um, you can head to the Maroons website. This was first reported on by Justin Walgren. Yeah. Um, I think this is a very interesting settlement. I'm someone who cares a lot about higher ed policy and making higher education more accessible. I really want to see what financial aid at the University of Chicago will look like after um, this, because I think... No, I think, I truly do believe that universities are better places when all students, regardless of their background, have access to great educations that are offered here, you know, at, at schools like us. Um, so I really want to see where this goes, but I also think that this goes to show how also messed up universities can be at times. Um, you know, I'm not the biggest, you know, advocate for legacy admissions. Um, I, I do think that students should get in on their merit. Um, you know, based off of how they are given the circumstances of their lives. Um, you know, so, yeah, I, I really want to see, you know, just kind of how this settlement, you know, plays out. And overall, I also find this settlement really funny, you know. UChicago, the school known for free markets and, and all that, uh, is, is involved in an antitrust lawsuit in this settlement. <laughs> True. <laughs> it's, it's very funny. Uh, but, yeah, you know, I, I really am concerned, you know, for the future of financial aid and what that'll look like. I hope that universities like UChicago and other elite universities um, remain generous. I think that's really important. Yeah, it is important to note that this was, uh, this ended in 2014. I think the policies have changed. Whether they have necessarily changed for the better, I don't know. But I, I, I do know of multiple students who chose, <clears throat> who, excuse me, who chose the University of Chicago because the financial aid was more competitive than at other schools. So at least now there is a degree of competition as a result of the end of this law. Um, that since 2014, there has been competition in trying to uh, use financial aid to get you know students um, who are who are somewhat set apart. And I do know that the university offers merit aid, which many yes. peer institutions, if you look at rankings and mm -hmm. such, do not do. And I think that that is a conscious effort on their part to try to recruit students and get people mm -hmm. for whom that would you know, make a difference. Yeah, not very much merit aid, given the scope, of, the scope of the cost of tuition and housing and all, but yes, they do offer limited quantities. Mm -hmm. Actually, didn't they just join the Star Network? What's that? I believe they did, yeah. I saw an email about that somewhere. Do you want to explain what that is? It's yeah, let me pull it up. Basically, it's it's like a, I don't know, like a group of institutions, like 15 or so, that um, make higher education more accessible for students in rural communities. That's my understanding of it. Yes. Um, the STAR Network, the Small Town and Rural Students College Network, is dedicated to working with high schools and access organizations to widen pathways to higher education um, for rural and small town students. And, you know, I will say small town and rural students are really underrepresented at the University of Chicago. Um, I was talking to a few students who were from Tennessee the other day. Um, and they explained to me just the struggles that they have going from a small town to a large institution like this. Um, how they feel underrepresented, how they don't, um, you know, kind of find community. Um, I, as someone from, from, you know, from Boston, you know, you, you don't really think about rural perspectives that much because you are from a city. I, I'm from a city. 
Um, so it's really, really important to really consider, you know, how are rural and small town communities being represented at the University of Chicago and other institutions? Um, yeah, it's super important. I do wonder about how um, those students are represented here relative to, you know, similar schools. Um, my sense has always been that the university makes a real effort to reach out to rural communities. Mm. I'm sure it's still you know difficult for students when they get here, but I know that we have a rural scholars program where... Like high school students from rural areas come to Chicago, spend some time here, like learn about the school, whatever. And I know a, a number of students who went through that program and then applied here, mm. got in. So I think they're work certainly they've certainly been working on developing those relationships, those pathways. So I'm not surprised to hear that they're a part of a network of schools that are, you know, signaling their support for rural students. Yeah, yeah the struggle uh, though is real. Two of my best friends are from very rural towns in Missouri. And they're incredibly smart people, um, incredibly motivated. And then sometimes they'll talk to me about their problems in classes with these other students who have learned so many other things that they didn't even have the chance to be taught in mm-hmm. high schools um, or these, these clubs and things. And, and they, there definitely are struggles that they face because in their rural setting they didn't have access to the same um, educational resources that a lot of people in or cities did. And although they're just as smart, they they don't have the background knowledge, and they just need a little bit of an extra foothold um, to to really succeed at the same levels. Yeah, yeah. I, I know this is not a policy podcast, but one of the biggest things that I'm I'm worried about in, in, in American policy right now is the lack of focus on 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 middle school and high school education policy. I think that government. Is just failing middle schoolers, high schoolers at, at unprecedented rates. I mean, everything from math to all the way down to social um, interactions for students, preparing students for you know institutions like U Chicago, or you know even developing strong pipelines to trade schools and stuff. It, I, I'm very concerned about the state of American education. Yeah, unfortunately, there are a lot of policies going in for middle and high schools, but not in the direction we want. Exactly. You know, well, you're speaking from a Floridian's perspective. I, that I am. You know, we're too busy trying to attack social wars, you know, these non-existent social wars, let's put it like that. They're non-existent, in my opinion, you know, these creating stuff out of thin air, you know, uh, fighting the woke. Some people think the culture wars exist. Yeah, you know, fighting the woke, whatever the woke is, you know. But don't even know how to define it, honest to God. Um, you know, instead of you know focusing on you know improving you know socialization in the school for students, or you know building better you know education pipelines, you know getting kids to universities and to trade schools, you know doing stuff that really affects the future of kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where we need to focus. You know, because these culture wars, these nonsense. It's just a waste of taxpayer dollars. You know, these taxpayer funded, um, you know, culture wars that just you know you're going to start seeing kids hurting themselves. And I'm just very concerned about the state of American education. Very concerned. You said you worked in politics earlier. I can tell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, of course, very important issues that we won't quite see a settlement for anytime soon. But our next article is hopefully a little bit more cheery. We're on to Jake for an article on the Promontory Point. Sure, the Promontory Point, home of the last stretch of limestone shoreline barriers in Chicago, is officially a Chicago landmark. Hyde Park native and Fifth Ward Alderman Leslie Hairston has been advocating for preserving the point since the early 2000s. She's retiring and will be succeeded by Desmond Yancey, so this designation of the point as a Chicago landmark was made at her last ever city council meeting. 
The vote was unanimous and prompted Harrison to thank another outgoing politician, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, as the act passed. The Promontory Point Conser Conser the Promontory Point Conservancy, a nonprofit that seeks to protect the point, requested in November that the city consider making the point a landmark. Supporters of this effort sent hundreds of letters to members of the Commission on Chicago Landmarks. The defense bill, signed into law last December by President Biden, actually requires the federal government to fund 65% of a quote-unquote locally preferred plan for renovations to both the Point and Morgan Shoal, which is just north of us in Kenwood. That semantic construction of a locally preferred plan enables local residents and officials to decide how to best renovate the Point, while also ensuring that the federal government will help foot most of the bill. This marks one victory for the broader Southside movement for park equity. Activists have long pushed for efforts to improve Jackson Park, the Midway Plaisance, Washington Park, South Shore Cultural Center, and more. And marking the point as a landmark is one step towards that goal. This report was drawn from an article by Maxwell Evans for Block Club Chicago, where he does great reporting on Hyde Park, Woodlawn, and the South Shore. You can find the article on blockclubchicago.org. Feels like we talk about the point nearly every other week, but I'm glad that it sounds like it's finally concluded in, in some ways. <laughs> Gosh. I'm very happy. You know, protecting access to public land, public space is super important. It is so important. Access to green space, you know, to relax, to run. It just improves people's lives so much more. Um, and protecting the point, you know, not just this beautiful historic place, but a place where people can genuinely enjoy themselves. I mean, these past few days have been really nice out. Um, you know, I, I've spent, you know, my fair share of hours on the point when I should have been in the reg, but that's not the point. You know, protecting access is good for mental health. It's good for, you know, just everything. That's just, yeah, I love public lands. And I'm also happy to see how it's being funded. Um, you know, it's not taking a bite out of, of out of Chicago's budget, or not a huge bite out of Chicago's budget, which I feel paid for. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm happy to see this. You guys keep hyping up the point. I feel so bad that I haven't been yet. Never? <laughs> Never. No, no. That's great. You, have you done Kuvia? No. No? Oh. <laughs> next year we're doing Kuvia. <laughs> we need to. I yeah. yeah, Kuvia's fun. Yeah, yeah, I hope Dean Boyer does it next year. I hope he's there. I don't know. I, I don't know if he's moving away. I don't know what, what his. Well, he's becoming. If I were him and I were retiring after this many years, I would be traveling a lot. Well, he's already <laughs> always traveling. He can make a plan. Okay, wait. This is actually a perfect segue. So we we weren't going to report on this because there's no article in the Maroon. But did you guys hear about John W. Boyer Day? I saw it, yeah. and they put the best picture of him on Instagram. If you, you should go to that picture of I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. I'll, I'll, I'll just read the LinkedIn post. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot has proclaimed April 21st to be John W. Boyer Day in Chicago in recognition of the longtime U Chicago College Dean's accomplishments, including his leadership in transforming the college. Boyer was surprised with the news this morning, or April 21st, at an event held on campus. My favorite... Um, paragraph or sentence oh, I guess that? from her like act or whatever that Lori Lightfoot mm -hmm. signed proclamation um, yeah whereas John Boyer has become a beloved figure on campus and his bespectacled mustachioed image has been printed <laughs> on socks clothing and other school spirit items yes you know, <laughs> where did the event take place was this at I think the... it was the Rubenstein yeah. okay because my, my roommate and I were there um, on Friday I guess on April 21st and I was waiting for him outside, and he came out and said, I was just in an elevator with Dean Boyer and a whole bunch of guys in suits. 
<laughs> his entourage. Yeah. So I guess he had just seen. Uh, I guess he had just seen the aftermath. Yeah, no, I love Dean Boyer. I always see him. Um, we're not always not anymore this quarter, but last quarter I had a class in Harper very early, and I would see him bike in on his bike. Um, you know, lock it up to the little like bike, you know, lock, you know, near Harper. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd always like good morning to him, and he'd always like say good morning back, and like I'd always like laugh in my head when I see his like his little mustache move, and you know, like, good morning, mm-hmm. and the mustache would go up and down. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna miss Do- I'm gonna miss Dean Boy. I'm gonna miss seeing him in the morning. I'm gonna miss seeing him ride across the quad in his bike. I have been seeing so many campus celebrities. I told you guys I saw Agnes Kellard, and then I also saw Boyer the other day. And then just yesterday, I walked past Alivi Sato's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I saw Alivi Sato's the other day in plain air, and there was a huge line. He walked in, looked at the line, chuckled, then walked right out. <laughs> I feel like the only one of those that I ever run into is Alivi Sato's. I, see, I feel like I see him on the quad pretty frequently. I don't see no. Alivi Sato's outside of inside buildings. Like, I mean, outside of buildings, I don't see him. I only see him inside buildings. Like, he doesn't exist to me outside of buildings. Yeah. <laughs> I, I haven't yeah. seen most of them. I've seen Boyer before. Uh, I remember my my friend went on a, a date once. They met on the quad. With and Boyer? It, no. no. <laughs> Boyer rode past uh, on his bike. And so when he came back, he said, Dean Boyer blessed my date. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so apparently, he, you know, he's, he's around. I have not seen Dean Boyer very much, unfortunately. Although I remember my first year, there was a fundraising event where if you donated a certain amount of dollars, you'd be given a little Lego set or knockoff Lego set of Whole Gate with a minifigure of Dean Boyer. <laughs> Um, I wish I'd gotten one of those. I would donate just to get the mini. Right? No, it, it, it came great. with a little Lego bike. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. That's such a great, that's just like a great fundraising pitch. Like, donate to us and you get like a little John Boyer. Yes, um, you Chicago, if you're listening to this, please give us back yeah. the Dean Boyer. Yeah, give us the Dean Boyer Lego set and I assure you, we'll donate. We'll give you more mm. than tuition. <laughs> <laughs> like, every time I see them, it's just so jarring. I feel like they should have like a security detail around them. Like I shouldn't be that no, close to them. <laughs> okay, the well, no, you're right. They shouldn't. <laughs> they shouldn't. The college should be very touchable and approachable. Well, not touchable. Don't touch. No, yeah, you guys are right. You guys are right. Very approachable. Yeah. Take selfies with Dean Boyer. Mm-hmm. I have one with him. I should frame it. It's more than a lot I, of I people. Giving day. I should have taken a picture of him at Giving Day. I wanted to get like that that a milkshake that he was giving the milkshakes that he was giving. Uh, yeah, they were good. I wasn't I wasn't able to. I they was were busy basically regular dollar shakes except a little icier, <laughs> which was honestly better. They're too runny lately. Boy, would have been there. That's the thing. Uh, yes, there. that's true. I did go. I donated one dollar. They asked me where I wanted to donate my one dollar. I donated it to the mock trial team. <laughs> and not the maroon. I know, I know, I really should have been, should have been, this is what we should be reporting on you, yo, the donating live of Carter Beckstein. Mm -hmm. So I hope, they asked if I wanted my name to be put on the one dollar (laughs) donation, I said no, (laughs) (laughs) that would have been very funny. Uh, Well, thank you, Dean Boy, I don't know when, does he end June 1st? It's something, I mean, he'll end, you know, I imagine after graduation, which is June 3rd. Okay. Yeah, but thank you, Dean Boyer. You know, we're gonna miss the guy. Mm-hmm. I was only here for one year, but he's made an everlasting impression on me. All right. So one last thing before we close, Pravon mentioned last podcast that we'd have special content with Northwestern uh, this week, and that's not happening due to a lot of things. Um, but we do have Northwestern content coming in the next few weeks. So. Keep an eye out for that. It'll be a lot of fun. You guys will enjoy it. Yeah, 
Absolutely, we got a lot. We're trying to get planned before the end of this year, and we hope you'll uh, you'll enjoy what we have to offer. But with that, once again, I'm Carter. I'm Greg. I'm William. And I'm Jake. Thanks for listening.